This is an exciting episode, episode 200 of the Brew Theology Podcast. Ring a ding ding, ching, cling, cling, cling. We have been doing this for how many years since 2016? Oh, it's been a while. Yeah, a lot of good time. memories. We've been on a doing this podcast thing from uh, different different couches, different seats, different different venues, different yep. event spaces. And uh, yeah, Janelle thought it would be a fun idea to get together and to talk about some of those memories. And then we'll we'll share some of that with you as well from past episodes from our our favorite uh, conversations and theologians and so yeah we're gonna celebrate that breathe that in and just be thankful for all of you out there that you've listened uh, you've shared the love you've been a part of this podcast and it's as old uh, cousin eddie would say it's the gift that keeps on giving clark so keep sharing that love <laughs> we're so thankful for all of you who have listened and participated and if you have dreamed of participating, let us know what you want to talk about. We'll see what we can do. So we just thought we'd start maybe with a little bit of a life update and then we'll share some memories and uh, also let you know about some upcoming events. So I'm curious, Ryan, with you, you know, besides just a life update, have you kept up with your changes you made after Parliament? And are those still some of those still present with you? Is this an accountability session for all to hear? <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like I, I feel I feel like I'm being uh, I, I'm naked right now. I'm un, I'm unveiling all myself in front of all you. Yeah, you know. I just meant I really want question. to know. It's, it's, I are have you, a friend. You are you ahead. adding something to your uh, Baptist method? You call oh, yeah. open. Have you have you got to a place where you want to edit that or not? Possibly, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that yet. Uh, but in, in in light of your your question, I initially thought of I do have a friend that that asks me every Monday. So how were your practices last week? And it's it's a very old school accountable thing. So I thought that's where we were going because oh. I did share with you all like all these meditative spiritual practices that I adopted. And I will say that there's some of them that I'm I'm doing regularly as a as a ritualistic routine on you know in the mornings. The weekends are not normally as good as the weekdays. Um, because I allow myself to sleep in and then I forget <laughs> the weekends. <laughs> Sounds like a weekend. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. But yeah, I. as far as adding a label, though, uh, after Parliament and after just processing all that, I I, I don't know. I, you know I, I'm always going back to the words that we got from Dr. Robert Nash from McAfee School of Theology. And, and he says something that I think stuck with both of us when he was talking about a student in his class. The context was... You know, could I be the student said, well, could, could I be a, a Buddhist Christian? And he said, yeah, you know, you'll you could be a Buddhist Christian, but you'll you'll always be a Christian. And he yeah. emphasized that. And it's sort of like that's the worldview. That's that we grew up in. Uh, you can't shake it. Um, and even if you tried to and leave it, I mean, I, how many friends that we know are, I would say, agnostic or atheist and, and they've gone through all the deconstruction and haven't reconstructed any kind of faith, but they still hold a Christian worldview. Yeah. You know, yeah. And so. I, I do have a Christian worldview, but I still, I, I would like, I would still like to, when I say like to be Christian, it's like what I tell everybody. They ask me if I'm Christian. I said, well, it depends on the day. It depends on the time of day. I, in fact, I think because I know so much about Christianity as a whole, historically, like which aspect are we talking about? So if you're talking about the one about following Jesus, first century sage from Galilee, I'm like, I think I do a really bad job at that, but I don't know many people that do a fantastic job of that either. Right. Uh, so th that's still, I would say, the, the focus. Uh, if I'm really wanting to be intentional and to be the best version of myself, yes, I don't, I can never shake the Jesus 
of Nazareth from the first century. Uh, but man, I, I, I fall short. And I think we all do <laughs> to yeah. that degree. But re re uh, regarding religion, uh, the Anabaptist, how important is the Anabaptist part of my Baptist heritage? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I, I haven't really emphasized the baptism thing with my children because I want maybe that's because I, I want that to be a decision that they make. Yeah. So is that Baptist of me? Maybe, but also I don't want to force it like the old school Baptist did. Like you got to get baptized to get saved. Right. Uh, the bab the Anabaptist part, part of me that's a passive, a chosen pacifist. I have to be very intentional when I say I'm a chosen pacifist because I don't know what I would be if I was involved in a war torn country or living in a different area. Right. Even right. even in even different place of Waco, I don't know if I'd be a pacifist. But it's very privileged of me to say I'm a pacifist. That's an Anabaptist part of me. So yeah, that's that's still there. The metho part, that's not meth, that's the Methodist. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The the open table, uh, mm -hmm. you know, open that that was the thing that I took from being in the Methodist church for seven years was was that unfortunately the the politics of the Methodist church I will leave out. Uh there's some unfortunate things that are still going on there. But I, I like the Wesleyan quadrilateral quadrilateral, if you will. And you those who know know and if you don't know just look google it look it up uh i still yeah that's important to me let's see the jewish part yes uh yeah i can't that's that, that's the jesus part of me that's like that that's the that's what i think at one point i almost became jewish <laughs> i almost converted yeah. so yes and then the costal part that was tricky that was tricky because i am a reluctant charismatic if someone says god said this or i've I feel this. And so the spirit's doing this. I'm like, well, what's really going on here? <laughs> but I like the mystery of the Pentecostal. Uh, I, yeah. I like the aspect of their, I love the passion. I love the spontaneous, Hey, we're going to do this. Um, I just don't know if I trust it as a, as a system. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't trust myself. Like, I need friends holding me accountable too. So the costal thing, yeah, I hold that one lo pretty loosely. Um, and then I think back in the day I would have like the, um, the process open and relational. And then, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think I could believe in a God that's, that's not an open and relational deity. So I hold that. I still hold that one, but you know, uh, I, you could throw a Buddhist in there too. I, I have Buddhist tendencies, but it's American Buddhism. It's the meditative stuff. Yeah. I don't know if I'd add anything else. I just, I, I'm not, I, I don't think I've been focused enough and intentional enough to, to, to go down and maybe I'm just too afraid. It's like, it's more comfortable just to stay Christian. Yeah. <laughs> do I want to add anything else? Uh, but I, I love learning from people of different faiths as you do, Janelle. I think that from these past eight years or whatever that we've been doing this, yeah, that uh, that's something that I am incredibly grateful for. And hopefully those who've listened to the podcast for these, you know, these years too, that's been something that you've, you've been thankful for and gleaned as well. So yeah, the, inter the interfaith part is very dear to my heart as it is to yours. Yeah. So what about you? Well, I still uh, still holding on to that progressive Christian label, uh, but I definitely, when I'm around the table now, uh, say that I am still a progressive Christian, but I do all of my work in interfaith spaces. And that's where I really, I think I've definitely shifted as, as I probably should have after this amount of time into really valuing our commonalities of religion and the force of good that that can be in the world. So the golden rule, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That is pretty important. Loving God, loving neighbor, 
Those are important things. And I think we see those things across the spread of almost all religion, whether they, I, I never knew that you could find that. I mean, I, I know there's a little chart now that people show with each religion and where you can find that. And I had never seen that before, but the more I work with my interfaith colleagues, I think that's the key. We got to love each other and we got to treat each other how we would want to be treated. And if we would do that around the world, I think a lot of the things that are going on would be better. I, I'll be really honest. I've had some moments, especially in the last probably year or two, where it's really hard to use that word Christian sometimes because I really dislike the way that it's being used in America right now. But like Dr. Nash said, like it's, I don't think that part of me is ever going away. I mean, I'm, I don't think I can ever leave that influence behind. So then doing my best to live out the best parts of that is, has really, I think, become my calling and my hope. Mm-hmm that we've got we've got to grasp onto those good things because if we just stay in like a responsive mode where everything i do is a reaction that's not declaring good news that's not bringing people into something beautiful that's just reacting so it's been yeah. tough that relationship with christianity has been a little tough it's it's also nice to have people stay in the game because if you leave if you leave the team then you don't have a say right Right. So, and I'm, and I mean this in the most um, loving way. And I don't, I don't, uh, those who have left, I get it. Those who are agnostic atheists, like I'm not speaking against that at all. I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those who are, who are Christian, um, like yourself, who are fed up with the label and fed up with the culture and American Christianity, um, I still, we need, we still need that. We need people who are still in it. Um, to talk about that story of liberation and healing and wholeness. Yeah. And, uh, Isaiah 61, you know, Jesus, his first sermon that he preaches out of Luke four, you know, that's the year of Jubilee. And he's like, it's fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, that those messages of hope are needed and they need, they need voices. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that you're still Christian too, <laughs> but if you weren't, I would understand as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh I think I'm really glad that we've been having this dialogue during this time in our culture um and making spaces for people that are that have that are outside of their tradition or outside of traditional religion. I mean, we need t we need more tables like that and the more interfaith work I do, the more I feel that way. Uh we need spaces where people can explore their humanity and our cultural realities together, even if it's not around a creed or anything. Though, honestly, like our, our creedal statement of don't be a dick, I mean, that that's a good one. That's a good one to, to rally around. I think that's so, helpful. Interestingly, what you said uh, sparked a current memory from about seven years ago when we were at Theology Beer Camp. <laughs> and one of our friends, Raph Zayas, shout out to Raph, He's yeah, a big hey, listener Rob. of the podcast. Yeah. Doing good, doing good work in Estonia. And he said this from seven years ago. He said, something that I heard and I'm wrestling with today. And this is from a quote from John Cobb. Creedal Jesus can exclude more people than the biblical Jesus. And I had commented yep. back on Facebook to him yesterday. I said, still true. And he said, indeed. <laughs> yep. So, yes, getting people back to a biblical Jesus. Um, 
but not the Bible that fell out of the sky, Jesus, which then probably takes us to one of our favorite podcast episodes ever, since we we need we do need to talk about that. Yes. And uh, and I'd love we'd love to hear y'all's favorite podcasts throughout these 200 episodes. But one of my absolute favorites has to be when we had Dr. Pam Eisenbaum on for the first time. And it was, is the Bible true? That's that it was a three part podcast. We recorded for over three <laughs> hours. The Spurs were playing on in the background as well. There was lots of libations happening around that table that night. And <laughs> yes, uh, she talks, she unpacks the Bible. Um, and and if, if one can do that for three hours, Pam can. She can. <laughs> she, she absolutely can. can. And so what episodes were those? Do you, do you remember the numbers uh, on that? 64, 5, and 6. Yes. So uh, actually right now, once you go ahead and give, we have a little expert and give that a listen right now and we'll be right back. It's interesting to think about how we can engage Christians in a way that would allow them the space to take a posture of learning or a posture of openness that maybe doesn't exist right now. And I, that's a big question too, or a big thing to wrestle with. And I'm interested in your commentary on, on how that played out for you or thoughts or ponderings around that topic. So in my classes at ILIF, I think I have over the years started introducing more Midrash, partly because when this, if I have like a class in the early afternoon when people really want to take a nap, rabbinic stories are really entertaining. So sometimes I just do it that, to wake everybody up uh, because they can be, they're so playful. And there's no fear in that play. I mean, these are seriously pious men who spend their entire day um, studying Torah, Talmud Torah, and the banter and the play that they engage in that then gets recorded is amazing. But one way to start with students is I think that reading the Bible can teach people, reading the Bible well, can teach people how to read, period. Um, I find that students just, we take a parable and they read it, and the students who've read it, say in church or whatever, they think they, they know what it means. And so when I ask them to slow way down so that we not only go verse by verse, sometimes phrase by phrase, so that I can... I have to teach them the ambiguity in the text, which is so strange. So one of the things in recent years I've been doing is um, the story of the stilling of the storm. It's a simple miracle story, so it's not too long. It's told in two Gospels, Mark and Matthew. Mm -hmm. If you read them quickly, it's the same story. Few, few words. Few words are different. No big deal. Those few words, if you're paying attention change the whole story. Just to give you one example, it's very clear in Matthew that Jesus gets in the boat first and then the others get in the boat. And the language of following, will you follow me? It's clear that whole theme, that the story's about discipleship rather than just a miracle in Matthew. If you're paying attention, you get some of that. Um, so that it's not the same story with just the changes of a few words. And, and that also means Matthew was a reader of Mark. And then midrashically, you could say, um, told the same story, but not quite the same story. 
So, um, you know, I do think there's various points in which you have something like Midrash or Paul even engages it in a few points. Um, yeah. All right, a break. Yeah, no, that's why I brought the tequila over. All right, Dan, we're doing some tequila. We got whiskey tonight. Dan, you should be here. We miss you, Dan. I discovered that Ryan is a Spurs fan. I'm... Oh, this is going to be on the way. Keep keep talking. You know, we're going rec- to we're going to record this. Okay. <laughs> this will be on the podcast. Spur- Spurs break. What's to be like a music a musical Spurs Go break. Ahead. Spurs, <laughs> Spurs break. I arrive here this evening and to find Ryan. Well, first of all, I arrive here this evening. The television is on. I walk into the house. Nobody's around. The television's on. A basketball game is on. I'm a big basketball fan. I'm a really big Spurs fan, and it's a Spurs game. So I spend five minutes watching TV. Nobody comes to greet me. So I decide I should probably, like, go find everybody else. I come downstairs only to find Ryan in Spurs. Everything. Yeah. That yeah. surprises everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who knew we had that in common? Yeah. This is great. I mean, not only do I love uh, looking at the scriptures from a Hebraic perspective, but now we share the Spurs in common, mm-hmm. and you live down the street mm-hmm. from me, we're going to be best friends. I might be over <laughs> here a lot. Did that just happen? Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and you like tequila. So, I like tequila. So there we yeah. go. Yes. Love you, Pam and Mark. And love that time we got to spend with both of y'all. Those don't know uh, Mark Mark George also fantastic episodes talking about the Bible with him and the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, and so uh, that was fun. We 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 enjoyed all those episodes with Pam and Mark. <laughs> so what about what about you, Janelle? What are your your top top episodes and memories within those episodes? Yeah, I mean. So as I was going through the list, we had Reverend Ann Dunlap on talking about Romans as resistance. And that was right at the beginning. Uh, well, it was episode 40 and 41, so fairly early. But what happened, especially that night when she presented in, in the brewery, I remember where we were. I can see a picture of it. That was, and I, I'm a late late to the game. Ryan knew all this. He already figured this out. But she talked about how what was being said in Romans was a call to resist empire. And she walked us through a specific passage and talked to us about what was going on there in the cultural context and historically. And it was it was a moment where I saw the Bible differently for the first time. I mean, I I had probably lived some of that out in as I was deconstructing and going through this journey, but she articulated in a way is like, no, like this is the call inside the text to resist empire. And that was just a transformative moment. And I think you all know what I mean. Like it, it's, it's maybe it wasn't the first time I heard it or the first time I encountered it, but it was a moment I remember because it, something clicked listening to her talk about that. And so that was just one that really stuck with me. And when you listen to this episode, I believe this one was recorded around a Yeti in somebody's apartment and there was like background noise going on. So it it is not the best quality podcast ever, but would encourage you to give it a listen and and see if that speaks to you, because it definitely was a life changer for me in how I read scripture and how I listened to what God was asking us to do in that time. So I love I, that one just really sticks with me. Uh, and then we also 
Ryan brings this one up all the time, and we all talk about Rabbi Stephen Boothnadov, episodes 17 and 18, where he talked about wonder and awe. I know that one was so transformative to you, Ryan. What what about that was so powerful? Yeah. Yes. So we had at the, at the time, let's see, Janelle, we were with Liz, Brian, Adam, and Shoshana. And I think all these people have, have uh, either moved or moved on. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, it, even thinking about throughout the years, the evolution of, of our community and people who've come and gone, and, and it's been a huge part of their journey. And um, yes, so shout out to all those people who were part of that conversation. Because I think we had we had so many moments around that little circle in Liz's apartment where we would just our mouths would drop and we go like, oh, well, like <laughs> yeah, like we we had nothing to add. So Steve would just drop this this beautiful nugget of wisdom and you could tell he was breathing in every moment before he would speak. He was very in in tune with with spirit as he would, as he would speak. And if, if you know, Steve and Janelle knows Steve very well, and uh, yeah. those who know him, who are, who are listening, you're like, yeah, of course. Like he's, he's a uh, very thoughtful before he speaks. And there was, there were um, the moment when he talked about God's name and that he breathes God's name it was the first time I'd heard that before. I, you know, I, I feel like now maybe a lot of people know that. So the, you know, in Hebrew, you have uh, yod heh vav And as Christians, we, called God Yahweh and Jewish rabbis kind of roll their eyes a bit and giggle at that. Like, <laughs> yeah, y'all get to decide what that means. We don't, we don't because <laughs> they don't call God Yahweh. That's what we do. Yeah. Um, so it, one of his instructors had said, and maybe we can go back and he, and he can talk about that and, and get an, ex, an expert out of that. Uh, if, if I don't do this well enough um, had said that God's name is more like a breath when he says, <sighs> And that was a, a beautiful moment when he breathed in God's name, that the fact that when we do breathe, when we live in God's name, and it reminds me too, of, you know, most recently what I learned at Parliament was that uh, the nefesh haya, that, uh, that living breath, living being that we have from uh, the nishmat, uh, chay, uh, I think it's nishmat chayim, which is the breath of life. God's breath of life gives us uh, into living, living breaths. And so it all, that became full circle, but uh, Steve was the first one that had mentioned that to me about just breathing in, being able to be alive. Um, we are in God and God is in us. Um, so yes, something that I, I did not have as a Christian growing up, way better than just throwing around the name Yahweh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. One of the things that um, I remember when we had breakfast a couple months ago, and you had said there are 70 something names that Jewish people have for God. Right. And you're less interested in the actual name that is defining God and more interested in something else, this connection, right. this divine part of the awe. spirit. It's awe. Um, so your question was about like you think, okay, what? Well, the names All the of different God. names of God. You're less concerned right. about getting the name right. <laughs> well, I just think it's really important. And Jews need to need, you know. I, I probably the majority of Jews aren't even aware of this, that there are 72 names of God. Um, it's interesting because we have in Jewish tradition in the Torah, um, the, the top, there's, there's actually many names for God in the Torah, but um, one that gets focused on a lot is the Tetragrammaton. It's the letter Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey, which uh, Protestant theologians many years ago came up with uh, like a century ago to start gave that the word Yahweh. Yeah. <laughs> we used to like write our history textbook, like the people who wrote our history textbooks, like 
emails being like, why do you call it Yahweh? But Yahweh, right. <laughs> <laughs> because that's sort of a way you might put those letters together. Um, but um, so even that name of God, we're not, first of all, we don't know how it was pronounced. It's written with four consonants and no vowels. Um, the high priest in the temple pronounced it, according to the, to the Torah, once a year. Um, um, actually, that's probably in the Mishnah. But um, it was pronounced once a year. Um, we don't... Be, why? Because if we could name God, even in four letters, we would, I would say, destroy God. Mm-hmm. I would say we, we make God into an idol. Um, so what's interesting is the yud heh vav heh also is connected to the verb to be or just being. So so God is being, isness, life force. Um, um, nature. Is that part of like the root for being? Yeah, yeah. Haya um, um, oh, yeah. hiya is, is is to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so it's the it's the root of being. So anyway, so that's like totally mystical. And so, oh, so the thing is, when we read it in the Torah, instead of reading it out, we say Adonai. So it's kind of funny, because if, you, if you're reading the Hebrew, you're reading along, and all of a sudden you see this yod heh vav and so you don't say that. You say this other word. And um, because it's a, it's, a, it's a mystical idea that we're not supposed to try to encapsulate in a word. So there's that idea. And then there are... There's Elohim, there's, also, there's Eil, there's all sorts of different names for God in the Torah. And there's, according to Jewish tradition, 72 names for God. Why? Because any one name does not des- describe God. And can, you tell, can anybody tell me the 72 names? I doubt it. <laughs> My gift oh, of fives. We also, I, I remember being taught that um, Yudhei Vavhei was like a shortened version of like one time somebody saying, God's full name, and then all, and then them just like shortening it, so we never knew what it was, kind of a thing. I, I don't know. I, I have no that idea one, where that's... that came from. I like, I didn't know well, great I learned it, in, but that was like a concept that was always like sort of somewhere in there. So in Judaism, it's it's not pronounced. Um, in uh, in in more traditional communities, the word Elohim gets changed to Elohim. Um, Adonai actually even gets changed to Adoshem. But they do all sorts of things to sort of stay away from saying it. Um, but my teacher, um, Rabbi Arthur Waskow, who just celebrated his 83rd birthday, may he live long, um, many years ago he said, I think I know how they pronounced it. And he stood up, I saw him in, in a reform synagogue in Minneapolis a million years ago, and he said, and he's this big guy with a huge beard and deep voice, and he says, takes a deep breath, and he goes, Yahweh. He says, I think that's what they pronounced. It's a breath. It's an mm-hmm. exhale. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? I'm into that one. <laughs> <laughs> I told one of my friends after he spoke last week, I think it might be Jewish. <laughs> it's not true, but it happens every time I'm running a rabbi. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I'm going to be committed at some point. My family what's, will not be surprised. <laughs> well, what's cool about that, I want to say, I mean, it's cool. But what's cool about it is that it's still not a word. It's a breath. It's yeah. a, Arthur would say it's the breath of life. It's In many ways, it's better than anything I've seen because it allows us to, in a sense, make us a word-like sound that doesn't encapsulate it into, into a, a four walls. Um, 
So yeah, so I think um, it's critical. It's a teaching that you could take from Jewish tradition that says, we believe in God. We absolutely believe in God. We just don't think that any one definition defines God. So we need to experience God, is what I hope I said last week. Um, That um, my colleague and teacher, Rabbi Marsha Prager, um, is credited with saying, I don't care so much how you conceive of God. I only care that you have an experience of God. So we we had Steve on uh, several times. Yeah. Throughout the years. That was 17 and 18. There were a couple other ones. Also, uh, Deep Ecumenism, episodes 124 and 125. Which, okay, so that one, you know, has affected both of us talking about one, uh, one river, many wells. Mm-hmm. Um, brought, you know, brought up for Matthew Fox about like all the types of spirituality d- dip into the same river. And so w- how we see it may look different, how we practice may look different, but we're all deep diving into the same spiritual river. And that is something that I've definitely looked at many times. I've played with that idea. I've experienced that through my multi-faith group through brutheology, through parliament, like when we're willing to see the river that way, it opens you up to these shared experiences. And I don't know, I now looking back, like I don't know what Christians are so afraid of when they they want to exclude everything and anything that could be different. That's the pathway to experiencing a deeper life mm-hmm. together, a deeper yeah. life as humanity. I feel like and, that'll make that'll make your your well, so to speak, dry if that's the way yeah, you want to live. And, yeah, and exclusion. It is refreshing that that river uh, analogy, and I know like all all analogies fall short at some point, but it's probably one of the best ones out there. I think so. Yeah, and that that idea that was first articulated by Matthew Fox, but Steve has just done a great job of bringing that to us and it, and showing us what it means, um, and living that out. So. You know, just I can uh, I'll try to find a clip from that as well. Actually, I was at Iliff School of Theology. There was a big Sufi event that was being hosted at Iliff, and uh, I, I went to it. And Reb Zalman was there. I had no idea he was going to be there. Um, and we were just participants. We were not. He was not one of the you know on the stage or anything. And then the, it comes time to they're going to do some of their prayers, and Zalman says to me come with me and I'll show you what they're about to do. And he knew exactly what they were about to do because he had dived deeply into Sufism and understood the prayers that they were about to do. And so here, here's this mentor of mine telling the rabbi to come pray a Sufi prayer. And it kind of like almost kind of broke me apart. It's like, oh my God, we can do this? Um, so that was the beginning of, there's obviously more I can, I'll talk about this, but so what is deep ecumenism? That was your original question. Um, and I really like, there's several books, the, actually two of these books here are, are my favorite books because of their titles, <laughs> as much as what's in them. Um, but Matthew Fox's book, One River, Many Wells, imagine instead of seeing religion as somehow the ultimate, um, seeing religion as a pathway to, and it's just a pathway and there's many pathways. So what if we define spirit as the river? 
and there are many, it's an underground river, and that's, an, that's also a good Earth Day connection, but yeah. notice the river's not running on the surface. The, the river's underground. Um, and so there are many different wells that give you access to that. And the wells are different. They're different sizes. They're different, you know, some have a bucket that drops down, and, and I don't know, they have different mechanisms for br bringing spirit up to the surface. Um, so deep ecumenism is about understanding that my well is, is sort of my reality map, and I need that. We'll talk more about that. But I actually might learn something by learning something about your reality map and how do you access spirit. Um, cause, because my reality map is just a map. <laughs> it's not the goal. And maybe I'll actually learn more about the goal by comparing different maps. So deep ecumenism is about more than just dialogue and learning about each other and becoming safer, though I think all those things are very important to do. Deep ecumenism is about then opening yourself to the possibility of finding God, finding spirit in other faith traditions. One of the things that it means is going actually in our context, using brew theology as a starting place where you start to have these deep conversations, you start to explore other points of view. And then the deep ecumenism is then going with someone or experiencing something with someone else and practicing what you believe together. And that practice is the deep ecumenism. When I'm willing to set down my particular way of doing things and enter into what it means to do that for with someone else, um, which could be a prayer service. It can be uh, going to a spiritual place and experiencing that together. It can be experiencing, you know, kind of a practice together. So for instance, at Parliament this year, there was a Japanese lantern lighting where we put lanterns out on the water. And that's often to connect with people that have passed. That was a really powerful thing to be there with many different kinds of beliefs, but all participating and being blessed to participate in this action. So that's kind of an, a little example. And I don't know, Ryan, do you have a good example of deep ecumenism when you've experienced that? Uh, yeah, I th think at Parliament specifically, having engaged in some of the, the, the pagan circles and allowing myself to first off to watch and observe. And Steve talked about that within his own his own journey. And then to move in and then to say, okay, now I'm, I'm here not just to understand and observe, but now I'm going to participate as I feel comfortable. Um, and I allowed myself to move into these spaces physically and in, in these embodied spaces, these practices that were very different. And, you know, we, we live in our heads, you know, we, our faith is in the Western Christian world is all very like, it's creedal, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's intellectual. It's like, I'm going to sing these songs and I'm going to think about these songs and I'm going to listen to the sermon. I'm going to dissect that sermon. Whereas these practices that we, that we did at parliament specifically were very tangible and embodied. And I, like I'd said in a previous episode, I didn't get struck by lightning. And I think I grew as a, like the Grinch, my heart grew a little bit bigger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. And, and even, even going to a Gnostic service uh, the, the, with Sophia, that was very, um, very much a, a deep ecumenistic practice. Is that a word? Deep ecumenist practice? Yes. I think uh, so. Yeah. I'm going to make it up. 
<laughs> but we've we've had such great opportunities. I feel. I mean, think about all these these podcasts that we have shared with everybody, and then the fact that we've that that's a snippet. Like right? we get to do that with these theologians and these uh, these uh, faith activists and these different religious leaders, and that people have listened to. But we've we've met them at the pub. We've remixed it with other people. We bring we you know back in the day we bring them into the basement and or yep. someone's apartment and talk. So that's I think it's allowed us to be able to move into those deeper spaces. Um, Definitely to get outside of our well and to like, hey, let's go, let's go see what that well looks like, and and, you know, it's, and we're still tapping into that river. So yeah. thank you, Steve, for for that and bringing Matthew Fox to our attention. Well, and you just mentioned the word embodied, and and just the way you just talked through that is exactly that's my experience of that topic. So I believe Dan Rosado wrote our embodied our first embodied curriculum. And the the day that we did that in the pub, it just so happened that there were three, Naz four Nazarene adjacent people at my table. And we had the most, I mean, it was almost a spiritual experience around that table that night because we were unwrapping how disembodied that was when we grew up, how, there was no connection to our physical bodies uh, in how we did religion in that tradition. And I mean, I think there were tears at that table that night because it was it was wading into the river together and and being healed of some of that. And then to get the opportunity to remix that um, again the next week, to remix that on the podcast and have a different discussion I mean, that was a huge turning point for me of figuring out how to connect to my body um, because that had been a huge, huge barrier, uh, I guess, to my journey on, you know, becoming more progressive and open. And and so that was just a moment that I think for me just demonstrates like coming to the table. Maybe I'm unfair in saying it is just the starting point or just a discussion because some nights and some topics it is more than that. It's more than just a discussion. It is an experience that we share around the table with other people, and it can be transformative. Absolutely. Absolutely. Whether it's uh, people who are almost in tears or those that laugh together. Yeah. And I, what, one, of, one of the moments that comes to mind in an episode, and I don't, I, I don't remember which one it was when we talked about hell. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it just reminds me of the, the, the laughter. And I don't know why we laugh so much, but then uh, the Reverend Diana Thompson is specifically in this episode laughing her ass off. And then she's talking about Buddhist hells. And we're like, what's going on? Buddhists have hells. <laughs> <laughs> and we're still laughing. Maybe yes, we are. <laughs> something about uh, being therapeutic to laugh about hell. And I remember at Seedstock Brewery, we had the first discussion on that one. And the place was packed, but it wasn't packed with Christians. I would say over half of the crowd was like, just basically like, no, we're atheists. We just want to talk about hell. It's yeah. like, why would you want to do that? <laughs> and we're laughing again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think that's a little tidbit that we've learned over the years is just because someone is atheist or agnostic, it doesn't mean they don't care about spirituality. Like, I think, I think that's a narrative that we kind of have in America, maybe pushed by some of the Christian worldview that dominates mm. the narrative. No, like humans are interested in spirituality and that may look, that looks different for everyone and that's okay. 
And I have had such enlightening moments engaging with people who don't have a specific belief. And yet they ask questions that really make me think about why do I believe what I believe? Or is is that worth letting go? Or is that worth keeping? I'm super thankful that we're including everyone in our table Mm -hmm. and able to be a space where everyone feels welcome. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So a little, a little quick break right now. Let's let's give a, a, a Diana Thompson laugh. Can we yep. put a clip in there? There we go. Here she is. <laughs> okay, so we we can't forget. We can't forget uh, Tink Tinker. Right. And he spoke with us outside on uh, my, my friend Robin Steph's patio. I forgot who else was around that circle that night. Outside, mile high city, beautiful, beautiful knives. Well, when we could record outside, those were always great nights. Yeah. And he talked about worldview and ideology. And I think it, I think even uh, Rob Carroll had said that was one of the most uh, transformative speakers and nights mm-hmm. that got to him as well. Sorry, Rob, I'm speaking for you, but you're not here right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you said it on the podcast before. And the difference between worldview and ideology. And, and he says that it's almost impossible for um Western Christians to to change their worldview. He said you can change your ideology, and essentially that's what happens, right? With you know, uh, he said Democrats and Republicans, for instance, um, Christians and atheists. It's it's really just changing their ideology, but they have this they they all have the same worldview, and that's not going to change. So we were kind of like, well, how do you how do you change your worldview? And it's it is an immersive embodied experience. Yeah, remind that kind of what reminded me when you were talking too about Christianity changing perhaps not changing but but trying to engage in a new worldview would be what well, used to be called the way you know i mean before it was called christianity it, it was it was the biblical jesus was a way of life which was an embodied way of life and it was about washing feet and taking care of orphans and widows in their distress touching lepers i mean the, the idea that it's become creedal you know like that because that is that is the yeah. worldview of christianity could it be that perhaps we could move into a new worldview so you know, Tink may say it's it's kind of impossible as um, in the Western world, um, but perhaps there's aspects of it that we could we could move into or, or encourage people to move into because that's a more beautiful way of living. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I, you know, he talked about the indigenous way of living and, and from the Osage perspective, I think we a lot of us were really envious, if you will, uh, and maybe even a little bit sad of like, oh, like we we really can't change the system, you know, but we can we can learn from those with different worldviews, you know. Yeah. And it was convicting as well of like thinking that we were so like the, the Christians and atheists or Democrats, and Republicans were so different. And he was like, Joe, he's like, no, he's like, you're, it's all the same. It's just, it's yeah. just a different ideology, but you're um, so even defining the terms between worldview and ideology, and maybe he can say it best. So we'll let you have a listen right now. So the worldview is the air that you breathe. It's the behaviors you wake up with every day. You don't think about them. My daughter, because she lives in my house, because we live in our parents' house, unless we've changed, lives a certain way. Now, ideology is different because we can think about that. We can change that. We can somehow, like, uh, to use the word, you know, changing of our mind, metanoia. <laughs> I'm going to repent, Lord, right, in our tradition. of oh, the way I used to think, I'm going to think this way. But still, the worldview is is the same based on any kind of repentance, so to speak, or changing of one's mind. It's impossible for one individual to change that person's worldview single-handedly. What people can do is work towards ideological change, and maybe a generation later it will 
transfer into a bit of a worldview shift. But ideology is a matter of choice. In the Euro-Christian world, a Presbyterian can leave the Presbyterian church and join the Baptist church. They have ways of facilitating that. Either way, leaving the Baptist and becoming a Presbyterian. You know, Lutherans have uh, an adult study class or confirmation class that they put people through to become members of their church. That's ideology. Different theological, denominational ways of thinking and unpacking, you know, the Christian, uh, the, the Christian ideology, the Christian mythology. Uh, 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 one can leave a political party and join a different political party. Those are ideologies. But it's still the same system regardless. That's right. In yeah. fact, I would argue that communism, Marxism, is simply another ideology within the Euro-Christian landscape, just as democratic capitalism, an, a polar opposite ideology within the same worldview. Everyone's thinking about this. If you're, if you're listening right now online, like, you can pause it, go back, and like, what did he say again? And then we'll continue. Janelle, you have a, you have a question? So uh, some of us in the evangelical tradition uh, were trained in apologetics and worldview studies in the late 90s, early 2000s. And in that um, narrative, the worldview was basically set up as Christian or not Christian. Um, can you kind of just to give us a little more information, like break down how that's not not what you're saying about worldview, exactly. that you're saying that it's something mm -hmm. bigger than that. I've read that uh, evangelical literature, and I think they're misusing the, world, world, the word worldview completely. They're talking about ideology. Uh, and, and surely evangelical Christianity is its own ideology or set of ideologies because even that little terroir uh, has several many different, perhaps, uh, micro-ideologies within it. Uh, but that's an ideology, Christian, non-Christian. I would argue, from my perspective, and I put it this way in the notes I handed out last spring, even the argument, God versus no God, atheism, is the same worldview. Because in order to be an atheist... Well, one of my colleagues at the University of Denver claimed to be an atheist and then escaped, wanted to escape my critique uh, of Euro-Christianity as a colonizing power. And I said to him, Witakwala, friend, you may be an atheist, but you're a Christian atheist. That's the only way you can conceive of your atheism, is to stand it over against something else. So God, no God, or just two different ideologies within that same Euro-Christian worldview, if I may. Whereas Indian folk, traditionally, collateral egalitarian, there is no guy in the sky. There is no a, a higher power. No, it's all on the same level as us. We are, in other words, what some people might call 
non-theist. But even to pose this as non-theist grants that there is a theism somewhere that we stand over against. We never thought of a higher power uh, somehow in control of our lives or directing our lives until colonization came and with colonization, the missionaries. Are there a certain number of worldviews that you might propose if we look at the globe as a whole? Uh, you have the Euro-Christian worldview, the Native American worldview. Are there a, a couple of others that you would identify? I haven't put a lot of energy into that. Uh, it's clear to me that Islam and Judaism share worldview similarities with Euro-Christian uh, because they are also hierarchical. There's all there's that guy in the sky, you know, the the, the Christian male sky god, as it were. Uh, Buddhism is called non-theist. Uh, that has a lot of worldview similarities with American Indian indigenous worldviews, but not quite. So maybe that's a separate worldview, but I'm not a Buddhologist. Um, I, I, I know when I talk to a lot of my Asian friends, and I've got a son who lives in Asia, in Taiwan, you know, a lot of what they talk seems to fit with our American Indian uh, worldview, the Chinese notion of yin and yang is um, somewhat similar to how we see the world. So it may be that indigenous people do share a common worldview because I do find a commonality with other indigenous people wherever I go in the world. Do you have a, a favorite memory of a specific, like specifically where, where we were recording a podcast that was the most fun? Do you have any wow. of those in mind? Wow. Where you, you left and you're like, that was just a lot of fun. I mean, we, we had mentioned, obviously, the, the three-parter with Pam, with, with Rob Carroll and you and I. Yeah, I think I remember uh, the one with Josh, and we were talking about agnosticism. That was just a fun night in your basement. And then we had, like, we had conversations before we went downstairs and then we recorded the podcast and then we talked to the kitchen for like 30 minutes or something. Um, I re I remember that one pretty clearly. Yeah. And then, yeah, there were several nights we sat out on your back porch. I just remember from that one of them, we had cicadas going in the background and poor Baird just about pulled his hair out editing it because there was just this this cricket noise going on the whole time. Drove him crazy. <laughs> Oh, that's so, great. And I think we did uh, we did some little recordings at Wild Goose, and that was a lot of fun. We took our portable mic out and talked to a whole bunch of different people. That episode is just little clips from different people, and that was a lot of fun. Well, yeah, the, all the events that we've done, I mean, whether it's I mean, the event of Altruist that then became a, was it a two-part podcast, I think? Yeah. Maybe it was a three-part, Three, I don't know. Three, four, and, and, it was four. Was it four? Yeah, and then the open and and uh, relational theology extravaganza where we had I think six or seven speakers and it was a multifaceted podcast uh, event. Those I mean those are great. Those those kind of nights 
we just did one with Mark and Pam a year ago. We're about to do another one, Mile High City, coming up in April. Yep. Yeah, April 4th. April 4th. We're going we're gonna to do one with uh, is it Rabbi Steve will be back and Reverend Diana Thompson, and we're going to have another guest as well. Who knows? We may have four. We don't know. Yeah, that'll be awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's oh, there's so many that were just, they were, just they were fun nights. And I would, after just, you know, having had the conversation twice, you would think, oh, this is going to be really, we got to have it a third time. <laughs> but without fail, the third conversation was so much more dynamic and different than the other two. Yeah. Yeah. And, so they ne- never really got old. Um, I yeah, the, the the basement nights were great. I'm trying. There there was one memory specifically, and I'm trying to think of it though that made me. I mean, obviously, there's there's content nights where like the content is super deep. Right. There's the laughter nights, like we're talking about talking about hell. But then I'm trying to trying to go back here, and I'm I'm looking through the list again. <laughs> nights where you you and Andy would disagree on the side. Those were always fun <laughs> nights too. Like I promise, they don't hate each other. Uh, we did get a little heated oh, at times <laughs> this this one goes way back and it was this was just dan dan and i were in the in craig brooks pastor craig brook out of the table his basement talking about calvinism oh and, uh, <laughs> the fact that craig allowed it because he knew going in he's like here i have these two friends of mine dan and ryan who are anti-calvinist <laughs> i was like but craig you should have a platform to talk about calvinism but we say we're open to all things so we went through the tulip with him um, and uh, man, he was such a good sport and Dan and I were so probably snarky at the time. And uh, we tried to be, you know, respectful, but I got to give Craig props for, for putting himself out there too. <laughs> That's so awesome. that was, that was way early on when we yeah. talked to Craig um, and, and we had, what's funny is we just finished a conversation with Dr. Blomberg about the, go- the gospels the gospels, and then yeah. he left and we we're like, Hey, like, do you want to stand like Dan? Do you, do you want to, this is before he had, he had a kid. We said, you want to stick around? You know, and Dan, I would always make fun of because he'd go to bed at like nine o'clock. And for whatever reason, I was able to, to, to keep Dan up and to keep recording <laughs> with Craig that night. <laughs> it's just been an awesome ride. It's been so fun. We definitely, so Raph that we mentioned earlier, for a long time, he was someone that had heard every single episode. So we need to get him on and let him share with you some of his favorites too, because we know he's listened to them. We just need to send him an email and say, "Hey, let's get on a podcast and see yeah. what you know." I mean, he's doing some good ministry work in Estonia. Yeah. So, Raph, once you hear this, this is an opportunity for you and I to actually be like, "Hey, we should probably email each other and make this happen." <laughs> Hold us accountable, Janelle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Well, any any other uh, glimmers getting through here of memories as you're flowing through that list? Another, another person, I, I always have to give people just t- a tip my hat, if you will, to those that, you know, seemingly like a minority in these spaces. When I say minority, I mean like a minority voice. I don't specifically mean like person of color or, or, or female or, or LGBT. I'm actually talking about Dr. David Bouchard just because he knew when he came into the setting as well. He was talking about evangelicalism, yep. knowing full well that the group was not evangelical for the most part. We may occasionally have a few. Um, so, again, kind of like the hot seat, you know, that that episode was, I think, pretty powerful. Again, saying not all evangelicals get to speak for, you know, not all get the MAGA platform. Like it's been right. hijacked, if you will. And so he was able to kind of go through that and talk about evangelicalism historically and then where it is today. 
So I think that was episode, let's see here, episode 73 and 74, Will the Real Evangelicals Please Stand Up? And this was specifically related to the presidency of Donald Trump and uh, all that that brought into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I mentioned the name. Oh, fair. Yeah. Oh, so many. There's just so many there's lessons so here. Many I'm, I'm scrolling things. through this, like, you know, talking <laughs> to, to Dr. Jennifer Leith about womanism. Like, it's things I just, I'm, I would, I've been stretched so much throughout the years. In fact, some of my best nights are when I'm just, I, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer. I'm just drinking in the words of all these amazing professors and faith thinkers and, you know, religious leaders in our communities. And even, even here in Waco, I mean, for that matter, I, coming here, I, obviously it's not as interfaith as the Denver community is for the obvious reasons. I mean, small town versus a big city, but we, we do have, um, who have leaders that are diverse here as well. And, uh, getting to even share some of them with you online. That's, that's been fun. Yeah. One that I see here that I think was influential was, uh, a friend of a friend of our group, uh, Paul Myskew shared about suicide prevention and shared his story and the work that he does to help uh, teenagers especially navigate suicidal ideation. And it was just a very powerful night where he openly talked about really difficult things. And it really, we had some great questions come out of that. And personally, I've reached out to him as I've been working with some people for resources and he's been phenomenal in providing that. So I think, you know, just if that's something you deal with in your work or church, definitely recommend episode 165 to to listen in on that. Yeah, I want to thank the the Jersey Brew Theology crew back in the day for taking over, I think, a summer of podcasts that, that uh, Nate Nakao was releasing. Just looking back and that was the summer of, I think, two, yeah, 2018 when we took a little break and they were like, hey, we got some stuff. I said, great. They got Catherine Keller on there and, and all kinds of other people. So check those out. Gosh, there's a lot here. I made 200. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, yeah, please, if you're listening, uh, email us, Janelle, J-A-N-E-L at brewtheology.org or Ryan at brewtheology.org. Let us know your favorites. Um, we would love to kind of give a shout out if you've got little sections from those that you want to share we you could even I, I know they do this on npr so we're not like that awesome but you can record a little clip on your phone and email it to us and we could put some of those in an episode we'd love to do that so let us know what has reached out to you over the years and been influential in your journey i would also like to know what did we sound like do we sound different this many years later. Oh, yeah. Has my accent come back? No, it hasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> and is no. mine still there? Because Dan insisted that, that I have an accent. So. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there, but it's not. I mean, I think it's not. A, it's not as noticeable if you were to have stayed in, you know, the Midwest. And yeah. Yes. Thanks again, and cheers to Janelle uh, for being a badass co-director. Couldn't do it without you. And, Same. Um, we are. Both just yeah, this this friendship has continued to, to blossom, even though we live in different cities. And so yeah. um, we will keep doing this thing. Well, and a shout out to Dan Rosado, who hates it when we do this, but he was a badass editor and really, I mean, he really kind of pushed us into this a little, didn't he? He really wanted wanted to have the podcast. And so we're just so thankful for all the hard work he did. Probably what a hundred and at least a hundred of these episodes he edited by himself. 
So yes, very thank metic you, Dan, meticulously so much. in every little tick and every mannerism. I'm surprised that he still ever, even wanted to talk to us after all that. <laughs> but it's been great. All right. Well, hey, everybody, we given you a little taste of some of what we've done and we've just shared with you some of our favorites. So go jump back and listen to them. And we're just excited to share this with you and let us know what's been meaningful to you, because we'd love to hear which ones have sat with you, what they've done in your life how they've encouraged you to keep being curious, all of those things. And if you like the episode, make sure you share it with your friends. We are at Brew Theology on Facebook and Instagram, Brew underscore on X, formerly known as Twitter. And you can email Ryan or Janelle at brewtheology.org. If you want to start a chapter, please do so by emailing us and we'll get you going. All right, peace. Cheers. Cheers.